You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. Welcome back to another episode of NFT365. We are sponsored by the Crypto Business Conference. It is the event for marketers, creators, entrepreneurs who want to better understand NFTs and Web3. And a lot of that comes down to to change and, and teaching change, helping people embrace change, but also understanding where Web3 allows us to do things maybe uh, at a larger scale or in some cases faster or in other cases allows us to really empower conversations, empower movements, and hopefully uh, make the world a better place as a whole when it comes to what, you know, not only the power of Web3, but the power of this, you know, kind of the blockchain and, and really where it pushes us forward. And, you know, for me, a lot of what, you know, I've been excited about here um, in this space, you know, over these 250 plus days uh, of doing the podcast is this ability to not only make an impact, but that, that harmony between, you know, technology and humanity. And I think it's very easy for us to kind of get lost um, in that, uh, you know, conversation. And I think for me, like there are, we, we need examples of ways and things that we know are, are kind of coming to life in Web3 that can really kind of not only set the stage, but also be things that we can build upon. So uh, excited to bring in uh, our guest today. And uh, Sahara, thanks so much uh, for jumping in. Uh, if you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself uh, to our audience, and then we'll come into this conversation. Hi, um, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Sahar, and I'm a founding member over at Choice DAO. Um, and at Choice DAO, we're, we're goal is to harness the power of community to usher in a new generation of activists. And we're starting with the fight for reproductive rights. Um, my background: I used to be in product in software companies, early stage tech, and then made the jump into Web three shortly a few months ago. Um, so I'm very brand new, and I'm I'm really happy to be in partnership with all of the communities and folks who are kind of walking me through the on-ramp here. So thanks for having us. Well, well, excited to have you and, uh, you know, welcome to the, you know, the Web3 space. I like to say, you know, none of us are really, we're new, we're all just getting started, right? Like they were all just <laughs> getting started, uh, you know, together. Uh, I'm curious, like, how did that entry point come for you? How, what was the conversation that kind of uh, brought you into the, the space and kind of, you know, that entry point, you know, with your background? Yeah, that's a great question. I was really curious about DAOs because I was thinking, you know, what is the future of community and looking into Web3? I saw DAOs as a really powerful way to leverage people. And I was talking to Allison backstage. It sounds like both of our projects were launched at NFT NYC in, in subsequent years. So you started this a year ago. I started this a few months ago. Um, but NFT NYC, that community kind of brought us together. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was interested in DAOs and started working with a, a DAO tooling company just to understand the product and the space. 
Um, and then this project started actually when the Supreme Court decision was leaked a few months ago. I started talking to a woman, Reshma, who founded a company or organization called Girls Who Code, which has helped millions of women get into STEM. And we were looking around at the repo rights space going, oh, no, this, <laughs> this is coming. They're coming for us. So we need to prepare. And one of the things we were thinking about is the, the work that's been in the repro rights space has been largely funded by donors you can count on one hand. Uh, they're older. The models are older. Things move a lot slower. Uh, and what happens essentially when that funding dries up, they're going to need in, you know, to infuse new capital, new people, new ideas, new models, new technology. And all of that is kind of how we got to, okay, this DAO model could be a really interesting um, approach to enabling activists in the future. And what does that look like? And so thinking about the future of organizing, the future of how people come together. And it's really, I think, this geo-agnostic, um, decentralized way that really gives back ownership to people and feeling like they can actually have a voice. Um, a lot of people feel like they can donate, they can tweet, they can even vote, but we're still standing around going, what does that do? <laughs> so I think that as much as we can empower people to get involved in the missions and causes that they care about um, and giving that power back to them, the more work and change you'll see and sept and spread and, and, and have this like beautiful flywheel starting. I love that. And yeah, definitely a huge shout out to uh, Girls Who Code. Uh, I was lucky enough early on when that project had launched. I'm a proud girl dad of three little girls. And I was brought on as a as an influencer and, and hosted some live videos uh, for them back when, you know, kind of that was all being brought to life. And uh, I got to work with IBM and some of their other partners on some really great projects. And to me, you know, having, you know, that leadership and that experience, bringing this, you know, also to life and kind of combining these worlds you know, is really exciting. I think it's exciting for what's possible. I think it's also, uh, you know, a little scary in the unknown component, I'm sure, as something that, you know, you're looking at as well. You know, for a lot of our, you know, our past guests and actually a lot of our listeners, I think a lot of their like aha or entry point or thing they were excited about was maybe crypto, probably a majority of them were NFTs. But DAOs have been something that we've talked about, but I don't think has really been kind of stressed. And I've been Lucky enough to be, uh, we can say lucky, lucky enough to be a part of some DAOs that I believed were kind of created with uh, the right intention um, and unfortunately, you know, failed off. Uh, one of the first projects that we, um, you know, included in our uh, Mint 365 where we're buying an NFT every day was the Constitution DAO. And I think for a lot of people that might have been, you know, like their very first, you know, vision of that. But for those that are listening that have like maybe either never heard of it or want to kind of better mm -hmm. understand what the DAO actually is. Can you kind of tee that up for us? Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of um, definitions and kind of nuances and spectrum of, of what DAOs can look like and how they're modeled and structured. But at the core, a DAO is an online community that organizes around a shared mission and is powered through blockchain technology. So there's often like shared wallet governance, um, ways to get ownership through tokens that allow you to participate and then incentives also that are on chain um, as you ladder up and get involved in the community. So I'm curious, you know, I, I love that. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a great way of setting it up, right? I think the, the piece of the, you know, the activation, right? I, I, I've given a lot of keynotes over the years on really the power that social has allowed us to create movements and uh, empower voices that we really for far too long 
um, have not been able to do so. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people end up like blaming social media for the bad, yet they, they forget the idea of like the Me, Me Too movement and certain things that were really born and, and grown through a lot of you know, social media interaction. But let's face it, that was also still using kind of a, a disconnected model and like kind of like what you said, a model of kind of like throwing things at the wall. Like, did I, did what I do help or am I a part of something that's actually a movement or am I just, you know, jumping on a trend? So I'm curious, you know, as you were, you know, kind of, you know, as the Supreme court, uh, you know, information was kind of leaked, we knew that this was going to be a a divisive topic um, in, you know, the U S you know, and worldwide. How did you kind of first kind of look at like the idea of the DAO and then even some of like the language for launching? Like I, re- I remember seeing the, the Twitter account show up in my in my feed and all of that is, you know, with a, a sensitive topic and then also doing it in a you know bleeding edge technology. There's a lot of like unknown and scary components there. How did you guys think through kind of bringing that message to life? Yeah. So uh, one of the things we were just talking about was how inclusive Web3 is and how there's a lot of cross-collaboration and pollination across communities. It's not just within our communities, it's community to community. And so the spin-up of this project was in partnership with DAO experts, people who have seen, been through the ringer of DAOs um, and seen so many different things. So we had really close ties to folks at Syndicate and Seed Club and thinking about governance. And there's always the question first is like, what's the line between centralized and decentralized? Like how far do you want to take it? And I think for social impact and because, you know, we're going to be working with nonprofits, there's some semblance of centralization or structure that needs to be in place to then empower the people to go off and do the work that they want to do. I also want to say thank you for lending your voice as, you know, as early as Girls Who Code and being an advocate. I think one of the things that's really important to our project is creating the space for everyone to come in and have dialogue. And that's not just women. It's not just people who can get abortions. It's men too. Um, and one thing that's been really beautiful in, in our community, and I've never seen this uh, in another project that really orients around women's health and rights, is there's almost like an almost equal distribution of men and having voice in the room. And so lending that voice to everyone is really important to us. And in thinking of the messaging this topic is very nuanced and complicated. The first question is like, what is the baseline that everyone can buy into? And I think especially in the Web3 community, there's this defiance against top-down, rigid, authoritarian decision-making. And that's exactly what this was. This was a top-down decision by the government um, on what we can do with our bodies. And that is, you know, in direct conflict with the ethos of Web3. And so the baseline mission statement for us is like, we believe in freedom. We believe that choice, regardless of what you want to eat, how you do, what your political beliefs are, you should have a right to that choice. And this is an obstruction to that. Um, And then as far as the intricacies of the topic itself, there's a lot of questions around what is life, trade-off of life, that sort of thing is where you start to alienate people in the conversation. They fork off, they have emotional um, you know, belief systems and arguments for it. And so starting with this broad net of let's bring everyone in, you can buy into that. Okay, then we can have a conversation once you're in the room. But to even get people there, you really have to create this space for inclusivity and people to feel comfortable speaking. I, a lot of my male friends say, I want to say something. Uh, is, is it my place to say something? I don't, I don't think I should say something. So they end up being quiet. And that's that creates a friction too in, in getting the, the work done. This isn't a one and done um, 
fundraiser, this is like a decade long fight. And so we need to get as many people in the room speaking loudly about it as possible. Well, I'm so glad you kind of tied that in, right? And I think there is also, you know, not only does I think Web3 represent that, but I I believe part of this, you know, narrative and change, you know, we can, in a weird way, thank the global pandemic and, you know, the idea that we were forced to to stop and forced to kind of assess, you know, where we show up and how we show up. And, you know, I've mentioned this on the show uh, before, like for me, you know, as a, as an ally in LGBTQ plus for many, many years, we're having a, a best friend growing up that I was very blessed that I kind of was welcomed into that community uh, a long time ago. But I was also under a false belief that I was being a great minority ally until the, you know, the murder of George Floyd, when I recognized for me that like my silence was not okay. And that my silence was not the supportive that I knew that it, it needed to be. And, and in a way, like, I think there is something really empowering on web three where hopefully, you know, there are men that are asking that question of like, it's not like, Hey, I don't know my place, but it's like, Hey, what is my place? And I, and I will give a lot of credit to this space you know, I believe women-led projects, uh, NFT projects as a whole, they're not amazing just because they're women-led projects. They're amazing because right. there are amazing leaders that are leading those projects, but they've also been really welcoming and inclusive for all conversations, right? And I think that also kind of helps because I think for a lot of people, once you start kind of getting your feet wet, so I love that you kind of tied that in. I'm curious, you know, you know, in that conversation of, you know, hey, we, we want to make an impact. We want to empower voices. There's also kind of like a, a, a geo component of, you know, is this a United States movement? Is this a global movement? Like, how do those things work? We had um, the Computer Cowgirls on the podcast, uh, you know, earlier this week and, and what they're doing, you know, locally from Texas to getting funds to Oklahoma, uh, kind of be like kind of their first initiative. I love that component. But I think the more I was diving into what you guys are doing, there's definitely a, a global feel of it. Can you talk to us a little bit about that decision and, and kind of how that plays into it? Yeah, some of our, our first uh, founding members were from Ukraine DAO and, and Unchained Fund, which are humanitarian efforts to support the war in Ukraine. And we also have members in the UK. We have people in South America. Uh, and, and people are looking at this internationally going, that's a, a human rights issue. Why is it so politicized in the US? It's it's not usual. Uh, and there's also a little bit of the question, you know, the U.S. models a lot for other countries. The decisions they make can reverberate backwards. So we're looking at this going, oh, no, I hope that doesn't come back to us. Um, and so there's, again, I think it's that shared mission. You can have these value sets that cross borders and and don't keep you locked into the constraints of your neighborhood or your state or your country. Um, and so the the mission of reproductive rights and, and justice and supporting women's health um, is something that resonates with people globally. And we've seen that from the beginning in our community, that it didn't just start in the U.S. It actually started NFT NYC is like an international influx to NYC. And a lot sure. of people came in in the room internationally to help us launch the project. Um, and so I think it, and that's, this is the first time that technology has really allowed us to tap into global community. Um, you wouldn't be able to organize like this before. And so for, for our, um, our work, we're including everyone in the conversation that we can get because it's, it's a, again, like a decade long fight. There are also creative ways that people have been solving this. We are really inspired. There's a documentary called Vessel. You should watch about this woman who was sailing a ship around the sea 
to get, you know, people a care that they needed that had no legal alternatives. Uh, and that is not, you know, in one country or the other, that's international waters. And so there's a lot of, um, of ways you can innovate and get creative in this space as well that we want to support. I love that. I mean, I think those examples are beautiful. And it's also, it's really a use case where the DAO solves a lot of these limitations. And, you know, I'm on the, the, the social council advisory board for No Kid Hungry. And mm-hmm. No Kid Hungry is a, a, on a mission to end childhood hunger here in the United States. And one of the most popular questions we've always received, and I've been on that board now for eight years, was, what about international or what, you know, we, we do a lot of it of you know, Twitter live and things. And for me, that was a question I had, you know, joining in and I didn't really understand some of the nuances of, you know, global aid and, and distribution and, and then even how we brought in brands and, and some of those points in there as well. And so, you know, when I first, you know, started thinking through DAOs, it without question jumped up and said, wait a second, if we can create movements and, and raise money to make impacts, without borders, without the even existence of borders, holy hell, like there is like an, like an aha moment of that. Um, you know, I, I think with that, there's also like this idea of we might try too big or, you know, we're trying to boil the ocean or are we trying to, you know, make an impact that we know we can tangibly see. How are you guys approaching that from the standpoint of like those initial goals and the way you're going to bring this to life? Yeah, that's a good question. So the the short answer is the community gets to decide. We have a governance framework that we got, we passed before we opened for contributions just because we wanted to bring everyone together in kind of the operational guidelines and rules of conduct uh, for the project. Everyone is bought into that. You know, everyone helped draft that and form that. We had hours of community debate to build that. Uh, and so kind of setting those guardrails up front and those focus areas, um, reproductive rights is our focus area, not just, you know, any obstruction to freedom, and though that can expand over time, too, if the community wants, that's the beauty of it. Um, but I think thinking through the right structures up front helps narrow the focus. And then from there, giving space for people to submit projects that they want to work on or want resourcing for or submit organizations that they believe we should fund. And and for our specific mission with our treasury, we're going to enable frontline uh, support to frontline organizations, enabling direct care. Uh, There's a lot more money and a lot more influence and leverage you need to change policy in the U.S. But what we can do is level one right now, which is get people the help they need because they don't even have access to that. And then there's also a lot about education that we can do on the topic or sharing, you know, the the implications of privacy uh, now in this new age where your, your data can be used to criminalize and weaponize against you. Yeah, and not to mention, you know, there there is a beauty of Web three transparency, but there is the you know the the other side of that, right? With that transparency, and we've seen it used um, in cases, some cases that have been very nice that uh, allows a layer of access that we've never had as far as certain brands and who they're donating to and where they're moving. But it's also definitely uh, you know the weaponized um, component there. Can you talk a little bit more about that like component of uh, of the privacy side and maybe where some of those conversations have led? Yeah, so there's a lot on the healthcare side, at least in the, this is specific to the US. There are five kind of big tips we have for people. So one is not to talk about your healthcare over text or SMS because cell phone network operators are often the first targets by law enforcement. Um, the second is to not use credit cards to pay for healthcare services, either online or in person, again, because digital transactions can be traced back to you. 
Um, then your cell phone has a lot of location tracking, all the apps you use. So if you need to go in person, the phone can place you at the scene and they can use geo warrants to get data on devices that pass through a certain geographical boundary. Um, and then the fourth is that your digital health products, like your period tracking apps, are not covered by HIPAA. Um, and then the fifth is your your browsing data on desktop and mobile. The cookies that you have and your history, you know, lets people track you. And so thinking about just even not in the boundaries of Web3, just the data that you're interacting with and that you're, you're sharing without even knowing is really important to protecting yourself. Um, and then on the like transactions for the treasury, those will be all transparent on chain. And, and we want it to be that way. Uh, we'll be working with vetted nonprofits to make sure that the the work they're doing and it, like the laws are changing every day. So making sure we're staying within the bounds of legality um, and going to places that have impact. And we want people to see the impact that we create. I think that transparency here is one of the beautiful things of blockchain. We want people to see where we're sending the money, what impact that's having on them and be able to feed that back to the community to learn what else can we do. I love that, you know, because it, it kind of plays on both sides of this, right? I think there is, you know, that understanding. And, you know, I, as someone, you know, diagnosed ADHD and neurodiverse, uh, you know, I've shared a lot that I, like, I upload my Apple Watch data to my my doctor so that I they can better prescribe, you know, the medicine, better understand my sleep habits. But I also know, you know, that kind of that risk, that risk and where, you know, some of my data is out there. And, and I think we have to kind of understand that risk versus reward on certain data. And especially when it comes to healthcare data, I think the the idea of like an all or nothing solution doesn't really work in right. that case. But there are, you know, some really extreme scenarios. I'm glad you, you know, you know, brought up some tangible, you know, ones that people can think about. And, and in many cases, ones like a, a period tracking app isn't probably one that people are kind of, you know, connecting to like, oh, wait a second, if I'm giving that info, right? And you might even say, like, it might even have in that app, you know, what is your healthcare provider like, listed in like your, you know, personal profile and some of those, you know, data points that seem disconnected, but we know in this, uh, you know, world we're in today that can really be used um, to cause harm or even, you know, to, you know, kind of add that piece of it. I'm curious, you mentioned that transparency of the, of the sharing of like the funds and getting the money to the places, the nonprofits or, or the, the not-for-profit that you're working with. What about like the uh, autonomy or the anonymity for donators? I know some lo- like to be out there, you know, loud and proud and be part of the movement, but I know others based on, you know, certain situ- situations. And I'm a big fan of NFT project founders being doxxed, but I'm also yeah. one that had a top secret security clearance for the U.S. government for 10 years. And I understand certain things uh, cause certain risk for certain people. How are you guys approaching that and like the ability for people to use, you know, wallets and things that might not be directly tied uh, to individuals? Yeah, that's a good question. So we have people, a spectrum of people that want to make a non-donations versus they're happy being doxxed. And so, you know, you can spin up a clean wallet and transfer funds, um, which has some layer of anonymity when you donate. And so we have some people that are going to do that. Um, we also have some people happy to use their personal wallets that kind of tie it to their other digital assets and identity. Uh, so it's really a, a matter of preference for this conversation we had when we started the project to build credibility and trust, especially in the work that we are doing. It's important to be doxed. Um, and so we have our founding team is doxed on our website at choicedout.org. We also built an amazing list of multi-six signers 
who will be doxxed when we open for contributions. We got their blessing to do that. They have a lot of, um, you know, they have great reputations in the space. And so that ties to credibility in the project. Um, and then, of course, like prioritizing the security of funds, too, in a transparent way. So we, we're going to be using smart contracts that don't hold funds. All contributions from your wallet will instantly pass to our multi-sig wallet. No one's custodying them beyond the multi-sig signers. And then we have nine signers, five of which will be necessary to move any funds. And that kind of protects separating their responsibility as signers. They're just the custodians of the funds to any sort of governance was important too, just so that there's no, um, you know, change in interest uh, or like, I guess, influence of interest on, on the fund side was important to us. I, I like that you clarify that too on that, that, that multi-sig wallet, right? I think it's something that's kind of been thrown around a little bit in this space. And I think until you are either part of projects or experiences that are actually using that, you understand a lot of the checks and balances that that implements within, you know, a project. And, you know, we'll include uh, the links for all of our listeners in the show notes, of course. Um, and if you look at the core team, you look at, you know, you can click and click on the Twitter uh, profiles and there is, you know, it is a, uh, a very impressive list uh, of people that have kind of come together you know, one of the questions I had just from a DAO, you know, maybe it's a little bit, you know, a little bit selfish, maybe on my own experience with DAOs is that, you know, oftentimes I think the beauty of like the decentralized autonomous component is that you can have a lot of people with a lot of voices and you can really, you know, brainstorm and you can bring in, you know, different points of view. But that also is in some cases where I've found it also creates a lot of inaction where there we it's hard to even agree on something to move forward. In this case, there there might be, you know, that that you know has a the topic has a little bit more um, you know, kind of I would I wouldn't say polarizing, but it has that component where people um, are kind of you know kind of lined up on that. How are you guys approaching like that I that component of of giving people a voice and letting people be a part of the, the, you know, the mission, but also recognizing that, you know, the, all of these voices have to at least move forward and actually take some action as well. Yeah. There are two things we're doing. One is thinking about culture really early on. Um, so we want a place where people feel really empowered to act and we want this like extreme bias toward action. And, and our role is more like, as a project, what resources do you need to get what you want done? And what do you want to participate? You tell us what your superpower is. Um, and then there's also some, like I said, in the governance framework, some sort of structure that needs to be in place to ensure the safe um, flow of funds out to the nonprofits that are doing work in like the legal realm as well. And so we've, a lot of DAOs have explored and experimented with council models. And so we're employing a council model in our governance framework there's going to be like a big governance council that will get so people can self-elect and nominate themselves and explain why. And we'll have a democratic community vote. And then they will be in charge of um, operationally the vetting and engagement with nonprofits, the voting and proposal processes and whatever guidelines they do come up with. That's the first action that they'll need to take. They need to pass that through the community. So there's this like constant like dialogue between the community and people that are taking ownership of certain operational parts of the project that feels really collaborative and feels like there's space to give input, there's space to give voice, um, but then it empowers people to actually go and run with it once everything has been collated and, and heard. And I think giving people the space to hear or be heard is really, really important to moving quickly as well. So it's a constant tension. 
Well, I, you know, and I, I, I appreciate that answer. And I will just say for our audience, like, I didn't, I didn't set you up with that. And I, you know, I, we didn't give these questions ahead of time. And just based on when I was doing the research, understanding the DAOs that have, you know, influenced and been involved, I, I was, you know, believing that that was going to be the case. And I think it's such an important uh, lesson in like the, not only the council component, but I think for those that are out there, I worked with, you know, IBM on this massive survey many years ago, surveying millennial and gen X on um, what they, what, how they want to be rewarded or incentivized for having their voice heard or things that they're putting out there. And it was one of these things where, you know, we had things like, you know, uh, they want to have a seat at the table that makes the final decision. They need a, they want an Amex uh, gift card. They just want their boss or someone at the executive team to, to validate that their voice was heard. And that answer, the third one, the last one was without question, the number one thing where, you know, when we think about it, we, we often, we hear this with brands and organizations, they'll say things like, well, I don't want, you know, I don't want to uh, reply to someone on Twitter. Or I don't want to involve some, you know, because then everybody wants to, you know, have their voice heard and we can't do what everybody wants. And I think people are really missing that core component that people just want to know that their voice is heard and they want to understand how they can make an impact, how they can show up. And so I love the design. I love the, the mechanics that, that you're working towards. And I know it's, it's very fluid, right? I think the, for those that are, are listening, you know, show, you know, you know, click on the, you know, the Twitter profile, go to the, the website, sign up for some of the things that are out there, but give our audience, like, you know, I think there's all, I mean, me included, we want to get involved. We want to be a part of this, you know, change where, where do we start? What are some of the, the dates that we can kind of keep an eye on and, and, you know, what can we do to, to make a, a biggest impact as we can? Yeah. So to get involved, you can follow us on Twitter for updates at the Choice DAO. Uh, our Discord link is in the Twitter bio, so you can join our Discord. Anyone can participate, whether they're you know monetarily contributing for governance tokens or not. So even if you don't want to contribute, we'd love to have you in the room. Um, your voice matters, and and will help us kind of shape and and run with things. Uh, and then we're looking ahead to opening four direct contributions early next week, and I can keep you posted on the exact timeline. DAO legal structure stuff has been a roller coaster. So we're just waiting for some final paperwork before we can really hit the ground. Well, I, I can I can't even I was gonna say I can imagine that it's been a roller coaster. I can't imagine. Uh, I, <laughs> I like I the the amount of like you know moving parts and legality and and let's face it, you're gonna set the bar that many people are going to follow. And I think for those that are are setting these bars, especially with such key important issues, right? And not only uh, the freedom of choice, but the understanding that we as individuals can can rise up and make an impact and make a difference and come together and realize that you know not only do our individual voices matter, but you know our our mantra here, our podcast was built on one simple premise of we are greater than me, and that idea that yeah, you know we all show up and you know we have the synergies are definitely here with you know what you guys are doing and you mentioned my one of my other favorite words of people tapping into their their superpower and and seeing that kind of show up. Um, and so I love, I love the movement. I really, you know, appreciate you coming on. We will make sure people know that the information we have, our social accounts, we'll put out um, some updates as well, but I'll give the mic over to you kind of as we kind of wrap, you know, any final you know, words, any you know, thoughts or things that to, to leave people with. And, and we'll make sure, like I said, to make sure they got all of the, uh, of the links that they need to have. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very thankful for you to create this space for us to talk about this. It's really important to me. Uh, and I, I welcome any ideas that people in the community or outside the community have as far as how we can engage in this fight. So my DMs are open on Twitter. Please reach out. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks, Brian. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming in. And, you know, for our audience, you know, I, I jokingly say, you know, very often that it costs zero gas to retweet, to amplify, to share. Like no gas charges, no, and there's no blockchain gas involved. But truthfully, when, when we're sitting and we want to make an impact, we want to make a difference in this space, it is the actions. It is pressing the damn button. It's raising your damn hand. And I think for me, this is where we can prove that, right? We can take that and turn it into action. And so uh, I hope for our community that, you know, I, I like that I say, you know, we don't give financial advice and we, we ask you to do your own research uh, or your own damn research in that case. In this case, I'm going to challenge you that if you believe in making an impact and our voices being heard and the power that, you know, movements like this uh, can make, I don't want to hear about it. I want to see it. I want to see, you know, links shared. I want to see people amplified. I have the bell on for, for choice Dell over there on Twitter, where you just say, you know, get notifications when tweets are, are shared because, you know, why not have that another you know point of being able to amplify and uh, put these voices out there? You know, that is the, the least part we can do, but we can at least start there, you know, bringing funds together and bringing even some of this information into your favorite NFT project. I think we have uh, a beautiful power here in NFTs, especially that we have, you know, 10,000 uh, know, piece collections that people are activated in discords. And unfortunately right now, most discords are siloed and we use Twitter, Twitter as kind of the, the thread, but we can each individually be those threads, taking these conversations, you know, interviews like this, links that, that we'll share and take these to your discords that you're active in for the projects that you own and kind of make your own impact there. There's so many places um, that we can show up. And, you know, I love what, what you're building. I love that the fact that, you know, that not only can we create this space, but you know, we can hopefully, you know, make our own little impact and, and together we'll, uh, you know, kind of change the world and, and, and also demonstrate the, the power um, that is, you know, really built in this Web3 environment. So for everyone listening, uh, make sure to check out the links and everything we have coming forward. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Cheers, everybody. Thank you. And a big shout out to our sponsors. We are sponsored by the Crypto Business Conference it is the event for marketers, creators and entrepreneurs who want to have a better understanding of NFTs and Web3 strategy. And one of the things that I think is, you know, also exciting about this is that there's something beautiful about like kind of like that right size event. And uh, this event will have, you know, anywhere from, you know, 500 to 1000 people there in beautiful uh, San Diego. And it's like the, the right amount so that you have lots of options to find your people, but it's not too overwhelming where you'll still be able to connect with the with the speakers and others in the NFT Web3 space um, that we want to do at a in real life, uh, you know, event. So make sure you check that out. Social media mediaexaminer.com slash NFT365. You can check it out, get yourself some tickets, and I hope to see you in San Diego. And as always, until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers.